Wonderful. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, great to see you today, G2. Um, my name's Adam, and I'm delighted to be joined today by an old friend and, and, and spiritual father of mine, Yinka. Um, Yinka, great to be with you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what, what you do at the moment, what kind of different roles you do, that sort of thing? Yeah, no, so my name's Yinka. I'm the senior minister at the Gate Church, a Baptist church in Reading. I'm also serving this year as the president of the uh, Baptist Union of Great Britain and trying to encourage and mobilize churches across our movement to engage in mission and pioneering, recognizing that they can do it. Um, and, uh, you know, for all my sins, I also work with an, a network of churches called Barnabas, which also uh, works is in about eight or nine different countries. And uh, yeah, so, so that's a bit about myself. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And then so you're living in Reading at the moment, which is obviously the greatest town in the world. Um, <laughs> what's uh, what's family life like? Have you got have you got kids? How's that how's that all working out for you? Yeah, no, yeah, I've got three boys. Uh, eldest one's away from home, um, working in London. Middle one's a musician, actually working in London today. Being <laughs> overnight in London, um, and I've got a little. Uh, the youngest is thirteen and still at home, uh, so. Yeah, three three lively boys and yeah, wonderful wife. Great, happy days. Um, and yeah, like I said, we've known each other for a while. Um, and we particularly wanted to talk today about um, like racial justice and kind of some of the conversations that you've been involved in the last few months. But I kind of wanted to say at the start that this isn't something that, that you said on social media, this isn't something that you've kind of talked about a lot in the past. It's not been something that you've sort of had years and years and years of kind of campaigning for and it'll be interesting to hear about so so why has it been kind of in the last few months that you've sort of found yourself speaking up into this and and, and kind of standing up for, for for the for the things you've been talking about yeah i mean i think for you know i'm not a social activist i don't want to pretend as if i am um and i'm not you know i wouldn't want to say that is black politics is anything i've ever been engaged in or involved in in fact a lot of black people avoid talking about black issues a lot of people of color will avoid it because they don't want to appear to be seeking to lever it for advantage. I mean, mm -hmm. there are people who, who will do that, of course, but most people, most black people, most people of color will avoid talking about issues of race and issues of color and, and actually have internalized a lot of the abuses that they experience in life. So rather than, than say anything, they just keep quiet and just get on with it. You will, anybody that's been following some of the debates around Black Lives Matter, around the questions of justice following George Floyd's uh, uh, murder, will realize there is a vehement group of people in our society who will do anything they can to shut down the discussion around it. And so a lot of this stuff is now coming to the open. And what's really thrilling for uh, people of color it's, it's not just black kids or black people that are marching on the streets anymore. It's people of every color. And that's because, whereas in the past it was easy to demonize uh, people of color as the other, as, you know, they all eat bananas and they all sleep in trees, etc. You know, a, a lot of folk like yourself, Adam, have gone to university with people from India, from, from different parts of Asia, from different parts of Africa, different parts of Europe. And, and actually, these are your friends, these are your colleagues, these are people that you know have sweated with a university. And so the demonization tactics don't work any longer. 
And that's why, you know, for the first time in, I would say, several generations, we see a mass movement of people from different races all standing up and saying, not in my name. We, we're not accepting this. Mm -hmm. This is not acceptable or tolerable. So that's really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, what are kind of some of the conversations that you've particularly been involved in yourself over the past few few months in, in this area? If you, if you can speak about them on... Yeah. <laughs> I've had, to, I've had to educate myself because yeah, okay. quite honest with you, I've avoided these issues. I've just gone yeah. with church planting, church pioneering, you know, building the kingdom of God. That's my passion, you know. And so having to educate myself from scratch has been uh, really illuminating. So, for example, you know, some of the stuff around injustice that black people face is really, really alarming mm. and would, should alarm any decent minded person. So, for example, it's not just a stop and search. A lot of people think stop and search only happens in London, that, or, you know, it, because there's a lot of black people in London. That's not true. Every police force in our country, every police force, from the north right down to the south, we just can't get figures for Scotland because they don't seem to collect these figures, but from the north right down to the south, in every police force, yeah. black yeah. people are stopped multiple times more than white people. And this is surprising given the statistics show up until just this last set of statistics that white people were twice as likely to be carrying drugs than black people. Mm -hmm. So when you, when, you, when you extrapolate the injustice that's being done, imagine you know, black people are nine times more likely to be stopped. Okay, that means this minority of people in our, in our community are and, a, and, a, and a, as a factor of nine times more likely to be criminalized. Um, if, if you did that to the white population, the prisons would be full. Mm -hmm. That's why you get this disparity, this injustice in the numbers of black people in prison. 20% of all black people that are, are charged for an offense comes as, as a result of stop and search. If, if that happened to the white population, if you know, there'd be an outcry. Yeah. Stop, stop criminalizing kids, stop criminalizing, yeah. stop looking for, um, stop treating people differently. So, so I've had to educate myself uh, to the reality of the injustices. And it's not just uh, the, in the police force, in the judiciary, <laughs> in the judiciary. If you're a black kid facing a court, okay, you are, according to the statistics um, that they now have to record, you can be certain that you're going to get a longer prison sentence for the same offense with the same mitigating factors. You are going to get a longer prison sentence than a white kid every single time, not sometimes, every single time. And so when you begin to, when you begin to stack up the injustice, so the, I think it's about 45% of the prison population are black. Mm -hmm. it, it should only be in the young offenders. It should in the young offenders is about 45%. It should only be about 4%. Yeah. But because of the because of the disproportionate amount of stop and search, that's why there's that disproportion. And of course, the injustice is compounded when it gets to the judiciary because they do exact same thing. Yeah. But it's not just it's not just in the judiciary, in education. You know, the, um, you've got three levels. You know how stressful it is. Mm -hmm. Predicted grades are a nightmare for black kids. Why? Because. The government statistics, these are, you can go to any government website and find this out. The government statistics show that 60% of the, 
of black kids predicted grades are wrong, that teachers predict them to do worse than they actually do. Wow. So here, so here you've got a, and, and we know that teachers, most teachers are well-meaning. Most teachers want the best for kids They're in the profession because they love kids. You know, you know, most teachers, you know, most teachers really, you know, they're not doing it for, for the money. They're doing it because they've got a calling, a vocation. But even there where people are well-meaning, the perspective, when they see black kids, is you're not going to do as well as your counterparts. Mm. The results say something different. They do 60% better than are predicted. So it, it is, you know, it, it's whether it's education, whether it's in the judiciary, in law and order, whether it's before the courts, whether it's in the workplace, I mean, it's compounded discrimination. And, and you know what, it, it, the society is going to waken up to the reality of it. I love what uh, one of my elders, your dad, Alison, <laughs> which, which I thought was really, really helpful, actually, really, really helpful. And I've quoted him in a number of places. And what he said was, I'm, my starting point is I've got issues with race. And, and I, rather than assume I don't, I'm going to assume I do and sort my heart out, you know, and let God examine my heart in case there's anything in there. I mean, you know, Alice is one of the most loving, kind and generous people you'll meet. But when people like that, you know, face up to the fact that we've all got issues and it's not just white people that have issues, black people have issues, you know? So when we all waken up to the reality that we have, we carry prejudice and we carry discrimination in our hearts towards others, then we, I think we're making progress towards a better society. So discrimination exists at every level of society, and 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 this is an internalized pain that black people face on a daily basis, and they just they just don't say anything. Of course, the next your generation are not accepting it. So that Olympic champion that was stopped by the police, mm. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it on TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because she's driving a nice car, oh, she might be having drugs. That's the mindset. Yeah. Even though, even though white people are more likely to have drugs, black people, black people as a uh, group, as a, as a as a group, and they're not a homogeneous group by any means, but as a group, black people are less likely to be taking drugs than white people. That's 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 what the figures tell us. Yeah. But but there's this stereotype that yes. you know that the reason somebody's driving a nice car is because they're a drug addict or something. It's it's a mindset. It's it's in the media. It's and it's really, it's really sad. Um, the statistics, government statistics, go and have a look at on the website, show that you're more likely to be mugged by a white person than you are by a black person. Yet the, the stereotype is you see a black person, you might be in danger. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a really horrible um, uh, portrayal in the media. It's not stopped. It, you know, it's, it's, it's become more subtle. It was at one time overt, black faces painted. It's much more subtle now. It's a, yeah. a narrative, a story that uh, demonizes and holds people back. Yeah. That's, thank you so much for sharing that. And so much of what you said there is um, so insightful into, into the stuff that we face as a society and that we face as individuals. And, and I, as followers of Jesus, as, as Christians who, 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 like you said, are trying to build a kingdom, um, that must compel us into action, must it, when we see injustice. And in the things that you've listed in, in the different areas of injustice and where do you see us as Christians? What do you see as the next steps to kind of take action here? And, and, and how can we follow God um, in, in speaking into this? Well, okay. So, so we as human beings are all made in the image of God. That's our starting point. Hum, human beings 
are made in the image of God. If we're made in the image of God, you have to ask yourself the question, how could any bunch of Christians ever consider that a black person was two-thirds human, which is part of the justification of the slave trade. You know, these yeah. are two-thirds human. You know, they're like children. They, don't, they can't think. The reality is we're all made in the image of God. Yeah. And seeing the image of God in the other, our diversity, but like apple trees or, or pears or, or fruit in general, tells you something about God. Mm. God loves variety of expression. He loves, you know, and, and we're all meant to somehow come together to reflect and show the diversity of the richness of the glory of God in the face of our fellow human beings. And so, you know, we must resist anything that dehumanizes and oppresses the other. Um, I mean, I, 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 some, of, some, of the, some of the pain that we see on the faces of people, uh, uh, for example, in, in the moment, trying to get across the channel mm. to get a better life in the United Kingdom, However, you know, the country needs an immigration policy. Absolutely right. That's essential. But, but we need a humane immigration policy. We need a, 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 an immigration policy that recognizes these are human beings. These are people. Mm. And, and we should, we've got to treat them as such. And I think between France and Britain, they need to work something out quickly uh, so that more people aren't dying in the channel. Um, I, I like to think about it like this, you know, this could be my son or my daughter. And, and, and at the moment, you know, the West is an attractive proposition, but China is going to be experiencing this soon. I mean, China is an emerging economy. I think Asia is already under pressure with immigration because it's doing so well. And, uh, and if, we, if we in the West don't establish humane policies now uh, by which we live and by which we will be judged, when we try to speak into to other contexts, they'll say, but when it was you, this is how you behaved. So we, 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 we need a morality that goes beyond uh, geographical boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that you put on um, social media and that you've talked about a bit um, in the last few months has been the idea that uh, silence is, is violence. Um, that's, that, uh, that's a brilliantly provocative um, phrase. Um, and you smile as I say it, but it would be good to hear hear a bit more about kind of what, what, what you know, a bit more behind that saying, and what you think the importance of that is for us as as Christians. So, so the Bible talks about if you see an injustice and you keep quiet, the Bible says you you become complicit, really. Mm. But but let's look at it from a legal point of view. If you see a child being abused, sexually, physically abused, and you see nothing the law deems that you are complicit in the crime. If you say nothing, the law says you are complicit in the crime. Therefore, it stands to reason that if a secular government can acknowledge and admit that silence is aiding the violence that's being done to that child, surely we as Christians should understand that seeing injustice perpetrated against other peoples is something we should not and cannot be silent about. Mm. We, we cannot turn our eyes and avert our gaze. In fact, Jesus speaks about this, mm. about the man left for dead on the side of the road and those who just walk by quickly, averting their gaze. That's not to be us. You know, silence is very literally a form of violence. It's a form of collusion. Mm. It's a form of participation. Not seeing, seeing wickedness, injustice, 
and saying nothing is a form of participation in that wickedness, even though it's simply a sin of omission. Nevertheless, it's still a sin, I believe. And, and the phrase silence is violence does uh, evoke uh, an emotive response in people. Uh, but I think sometimes we've got to, we've got to challenge people's, you know, people's mindset in, and, and use phrases and terms that expose the thinking, even though it, it, it's not something people want to face necessarily. Yeah, that's good. What um, kind of encouragement and challenges would you give to us as a church in this area? Well, I would say this. Look, so I'm not a social activist. I, you know, within five weeks of getting involved in this, you know, saying, right, we can't, we can't have this. In fact, the reason why we went out onto the streets was to support you guys. We saw your generation, uh, Adam, going out onto the streets protesting. That's what we saw. We, so, and black pastors began to think, oh, my goodness, our kids are out protesting and we're not doing anything. Mm. So that's, that's what led to the, the really difficult moral question of should we go out onto the streets in, and protest with you? And it was really difficult because it's, it was illegal. And I, imagine, you know, I, I, it, caused, it caused huge questions in my denomination because as the president of the Baptist Union of Great Britain, <laughs> I can't really be advocating breaking the law. But as a father yeah. who has got black kids and who are watching other black kids and white kids put themselves at risk for the sake of their fellow human beings, I, I, I had no choice. So, so I, 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 I said, well, I'm going, if anybody wants to join me. And we, we had over 200 people turn up, yeah. pastors, ministers, mostly white, protesting, standing outside down the street, making a noise, and, uh, and, 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 and chanting silence as violence and Black Lives Matter. What it's led to um, mm. is a conversation with the Labour Party. So mm. the Labour Party have um, have gathered a bunch of black leaders together across the country and want to have an ongoing dialogue with us about what difference could be made and how that difference can be achieved. And it looks like they're quite serious about it. So I was speaking with Sir Keir Starmer uh, with a bunch of other uh, black pastors and leaders. And you know, it's really interesting. I, I, I kind of sense a real sincerity. And tomorrow I'm going to be speaking to the business secretary, uh, RMP, Alex, uh, yeah, yeah. About, about some of these issues and putting and posing some questions. To him. So, well, but what's interesting is it's, it's, it's open doors into which one can speak. Yeah. So I think, I think well, you know, I, I, I'm not really a social activist or anything, but I think when you speak up, God will create pathways for you. So don't ever be afraid about speaking about, about, about an injustice that you care passionately about. God will make a way for you to be able to, to, be able to speak into that context. And don't, and don't be afraid. I mean, I, I, I agonized over breaking the law, agonized over it. But I concluded this, uh, Adam. I thought there is a danger that we could, we could help spread coronavirus. That is true. And it, there is a danger that, you know, um, lives could be lost, including mine, because I've actually got asthma. So I, when, I, when I asked my kids, should I go and march, I could lose my life. They said, yes, you must go, mm. uh, which was sobering. Um, but, but I weighed up, you know, the moral dilemma was, you know, is this, is this a greater evil that's being done as opposed to a greater good? And my conclusion, conclusion was this, was that no ministers were marching. There was nobody out 
no ministers were protesting this that you could see visibly as ministers. And given the fact that there's been hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years of oppression of people of color, lives being robbed, opportunities being stolen, slavery being imposed, um, poverty being inflicted, opportunities being taken away, their lives being crushed. I felt actually to participate, to collude in by not speaking up, by not protesting would have been a greater sin. If we can make the future generations have a better life, then we've done something good. Otherwise, what we'll see is, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of black kids and kids of color continue to suffer the kind of uh, and live the kind of life that is not fair. Yeah. Um, we don't want their lives taken from them. Um, their lives are as important as the lives we now want to live. So that was that was where I got to. Is that actually, if we could make a difference, future generations will have a better life, even if some of us have to sacrifice ours. That's good. That's good. Brilliant. Um, it would be great if you could pray for us, just as a church, just as as a people trying to figure this stuff out and 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 follow the call of God in, in this area. Um, and feel free just to anything that you feel prompted to to prophesy or pray. Like, please, we'd absolutely love that. Great, great. Well, Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that uh, Lord, there's a generation of youngsters who really care about these issues more passionately than even I do. And, and Father, I just want to pray that you give them courage and wisdom and understanding and insight. And Father, you open doors for them that enables them to stand in the place of power, to speak to the uh, pillars of power. To, and some of, the, some of the youngsters, some of you youngsters listening to this prayer, God is going to put you in a position where you actually, where you actually carry the levers of power yourself. One day, you're going to be in a place where you can make such a difference to the lives of, of thousands and millions of people. And Lord, I just pray for the kind of courage that Daniel had, uh, the kind of courage, Father Lord, that David had, that the nation will be blessed because somewhere in our hearts, there's a willingness to take the kind of risks that means that you, O oh God, are glorified and the people, O oh God, on earth are served. So, Father, I pray for our youngsters. I ask for your grace upon their lives. I ask, O oh Lord, that you give them their voice, their prophetic voice, that they'll be able to speak into situations in a way Whereas perhaps they've been afraid in the past, they'll find the courage to do so. Lord, I lift them before you. Thank you for Adam. Thank you for all that he and his team are doing. And Father, I pray, Lord, you give them more courage and more strength. In Jesus' name, amen.